When we truly come to the Lord and we truly know God, He's the only thing that answers that hunger in our heart. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV as we study Psalm 62 today. It is a great day to read the Word of God going through the Bible up until Revelation at the end of the year. And Corey and Ryan are here. Corey, what's going on? I'm going to be taking a look at wine and vineyards in the Bible. Ryan? Well, yesterday I documented some of the largest fish known to man. And today, in continuation of that, we're going to do the same thing with marine reptiles. I love these marine segments, Ryan. Mm -hmm. They're great uh, under the water. Uh, anyway, Janice, go ahead. I couldn't decide on what I wanted to call my segment today, so I have two titles. One is Power Belongs to God or The Wind and Waves Still Know His Name. All right, very good. This is all a part of what God is saying to us. So let's open up our Bibles and find out. Psalm 62, verses 1 through 8. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. My soul Wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Psalm 62, verses 1 through 8. We continue going through the Bible the 32nd time in 32 years. It's amazing. The Bible is just a stunning book of display of how God teaches us to think. Psalm 60 to 64 is what we read today. The word refuge means a shelter that protects from danger or trouble. And God is a shelter to those who trust in his provision. Absolutely. The Lord always helps those who call on him. When we cry out to the Lord, he listens and guides us in our decision making. Guides us in our decision making. God desires to be in every part of our life. Every part. And when we pray and invite God into every part of our life, it's the best thing we can possibly do. No man or woman is protected like those who have invited the Lord into their life to take control and to provide safety or refuge. David knew that personally. And he proclaims it in the lyrics of Psalm 62. This is a calm resolve to wait, listen carefully, 
to wait for the salvation of God. The Lord desires us to know who he is so that we will seek his face, meaning to go after God as the Lord of our life. You know, there are many, they say they come to Christ, but they never really seek his face. They want the knowledge of God, but they do not want the awareness of the Lord, which is a problem because we are in a time when we need the awareness of God as well as the knowledge of the Lord. Fascinating. Today, I'd like you to turn to your Bible guide and let's go to those pages. This is an important book, but the most important book is the Bible. Turn to the pages that reflect today, Psalm 62, 1 through 8. God is our refuge. And uh, when you go there, um, you can go on, you can write to us or call us or go online. And if you go online, you're seconds away, you can download it. But I want to say thank you very much to those who give donations. We really appreciate them. And right now, it's a difficult time in the world. But right now, I just, just thank God. And we don't give uh, amounts of money because God will speak to you. And uh, we live on what God gives to us. So that's how we go in this ministry we have for 32 years and we will continue. So that's just the way it is. All right. God is our refuge. Father, help us. Help us to know that. Help us to be people who understand that you are our refuge. It is you, God, who teach us your ways and show us your paths. There are ways in this book which you've taught us how to think. We don't like to be told how to think. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn from your Holy Spirit how to think, change my thinking and change our thinking in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Remember that this program is about the Bible and the Bible is a unique book, different than any other written material in the world. Okay, can guarantee it. It's been around long before our countries were ever around. All right, let's look at Psalm 62, verses 1 through 2. Truly, my soul silently waits for God. Now, think about that. Silently? Yeah. Truly, my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense, and I shall not be greatly moved. Waiting for God? What? What? Absolutely. When we truly know God, he is the only thing we need or want. We must always seek the face of God in our life. That is exactly what he's saying here. When we seek the face of God, that's because we desire him to be in our life to overcome the situations. Now, I know we're taught, you know, don't wait for this and don't wait for that. And Amazon's got you, you know, next day and all everything. But hold on a minute. The Lord is different. When we speak of our spiritual life, we have to understand we're talking about something very different than a product from Amazon. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's very important that we hear that. We, we don't need to, to despise the idea of waiting for the Lord. And that taught David how to seek God. He sought the Lord and the Lord loves us to seek him because we are ready to receive what he has, which is so much better. Interesting, isn't it? And there's no delivery charges. All right. Psalm 62, 3 and 4. The Bible says, how long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like 
a leaning wall or a tottering fence. They will only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Oh my goodness. There is nothing good that comes from those who do not know God. Only God is good. He gives us the best way to go through life. Now, let me explain something. There is a disconnect with our mouth and our heart when we don't know the Lord. When God comes into our life, he begins to reconnect it. Jesus is the one who said, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. God is making us right people. He's challenging us to say and do the right things. I know we don't want to. Of course we don't want to. I mean, God doesn't, I mean, I don't like helping somebody out because I got to go somewhere and all of that. But at the same time, God speaks to my heart and he says, listen, I have you in this place at this time for this reason. Now do it. And we have to understand that God is serious about that. And that's what we need to hear in this Psalm because the Lord speaks to us. Now let's go on. Psalm 62, five through eight. My soul waits silently for God alone. For my expectation is from him, capital H. He only is my rock and my salvation. It's only God. He's my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. God. Wow. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Psalm 62 says, we need to hear that. Now listen, this is important. Trust in him at all times. Trust in him, capital H, at all times. You people, trust in him. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Man, that's incredible. See, God always provides protection when we identify with him. Those who ignore and reject the grace of God, I'm going to tell you something, they live dangerously and they, it's not going to go, they'll die. It's not going to go good for them. No, it's not. But if we trust in God and if we look to him for our salvation and we look to him, he's our protection. Well, that's different. Now we understand what it means when on the dollar, the American dollar, it says in God, we trust. You see, the forefathers knew this. They got it. They understood this. And we need to hear that. In God, we trust as Christians, people who believe in God. Now, if you don't believe in God, I want to encourage you to come to Jesus Christ, invite him into your heart to be the Lord of your life. Just pray that prayer right now and say, Lord, come into my life and change me today. I need forgiveness of my sins.
It's time now to continue on with our study of the Bible, and I know our reading assignment is Psalm 60 to 64, but today's segment is actually inspired by Psalm 29, and let me just read to you the first three verses of it. It says, Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. Well, as you can see, one of the themes in this psalm is the mighty waters. And so today, I want to ascribe worship to the Lord for some of the mightiest underwater creatures that he made. Yesterday, we looked specifically at some monster-sized fish. So today, we're going to talk about some of the mightiest marine reptiles. Check it out. When most think of the biggest and baddest predator that ever lived, images of the mighty Tyrannosaurus rex no doubt come to mind. However, this title may belong to another creature entirely, a creature of the sea. Discovered in the 1920s in Queensland, Australia, Chronosaurus, a marine reptile that is now almost certainly extinct, has been called the Terror of the Seas. A most fitting title since this particular pleosaur could grow to lengths of more than 30 feet and weigh between 8 and 10 tons. Chronosaurus also had a huge skull with powerful jaws that combined the biting power of killer whales and crocodiles. Its back teeth were designed to crush even the toughest of shells. Yet there is another marine reptile which could also be considered the biggest and baddest predator that ever lived. Originally discovered in Europe in 1873, Leopleurodon, like Chronosaurus, was also a pleosaur. While there are debates over just how massive Leopleurodon was, fairly complete skeletons of the creature indicate that it was approximately 30 to 40 feet long, with a weight of up to 10 tons. However, there are tantalizing hints from scraps of bone that suggest that Leopleurodon could have been much, much larger. However, as Dr. Carl Whelan points out, even at the most modest conservative estimates, Leopleurodon was a powerful colossus of a carnivore. Its enormous 10-foot mouth was packed with very sharp teeth, which were twice as long as those of T. rex. It would have been capable of making a meal out of some of the larger sharks. Other marine reptiles, such as Mosasaurus, Shonosaurus, and Styxosaurus, though probably not as fast and terrible, were similar in size or even larger than Chronosaurus and Leopleurodon. In fact, Mosasaurus has been called the marine equivalent to Tyrannosaurus rex, only much bigger. Based on their bones, some of them appear to have been up to 50 feet in length. If this is accurate, then this would make Mosasaurus the largest predatory carnivore the world has ever known. Shonosaurus, a type of ichthyosaur, was also massive, reaching lengths of 50 feet or more and weights of up to 40 tons. Its skull alone was about 10 feet long. Styxosaurus, a name meaning Hell River Reptile, was a type of elasmosaur and could reach lengths of up to 40 feet and weigh up to 10 tons. A most interesting feature of this marine reptile is its long neck. Indeed, its neck comprised about half of its entire body length. Interesting to note is that all of these creatures were reptiles and not fish, which meant that they would have had to regularly come to the surface for air. It is notable then that there have been several reports and stories from sailors who have observed long and sinewy sea serpents. Perhaps then some of these creatures are still with us today. 
You know, the size and scale of these creatures really is mind-blowing. It actually seems like science fiction, but it's 100% real. Uh, suddenly, some of the stories that we've heard about large sea monsters don't sound so crazy after all. Now, hoaxes aside, we know from the fossils that these incredible animals did exist. And maybe some even still do. You know, this wouldn't be the first time that an animal thought long dead by scientists showed up alive at their doorstep. You know, our God, the God of the Bible, is truly awesome and more than worthy of our worship and praise. Now, tomorrow we're going to look at even more of these amazing monsters of the deep. You know, it, it is amazing, the monsters of the deep. And, and there's a lot in the ocean we don't know about. In mm -hmm. fact, I think somebody uh, recently, uh, somebody who is a science, uh, told me that we know more about the stars than we do about yeah, the ocean. that's true. And uh, that's really interesting. So fascinating stuff, right? Good <laughs> stuff. Corey. All right. Well, today I'm going to be taking a look at wine and vineyards. Now, normally we, we see... Uh, the time of harvest of the vineyards uh, in just the history of ancient Israel, but also in the Bible as well. And normally this was a very joyful time. You know, the grapes and wine were seen as one of God's gifts to Israel and, and one of the abundances that he had that he had given to the promised land. And so it was a time of great joy and, and wine and the products of the grapevine were products to be thankful for. Uh, but they were also used kind of, uh, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a twisted way in the scriptures to drive home a point. And in Psalm verse 60, uh, uh, Psalm 60, uh, verse 3, what's going on here is Israel is in this time period of warfare, and it's a very difficult time period. And in verse 3, it says, you have shown your people desperate times. You have given us wine that makes us stagger. And one of the reasons this is such a good symbol is because it takes something that should have been a thing of great joy and turns it into a judgment of God. So it becomes a very strong and impressionable symbol. So with all of this being said, let's take a look at ancient Israelite vineyards and wine. The importance of vineyards and their produce to ancient Israel is obvious. In the Bible, wine was widely used in the religious offerings of the law. Vineyards were a common analogy used by the prophets of God, and a grapevine and cluster were brought back to the Israelites as evidence of the fruitfulness of the land before the conquest. Overall, grape production was a large part of the agriculture and society of ancient Israel. Generally, grapevines were cultivated on their own, apart from other fruits and vegetables. There were, however, private orchards and royal gardens that grew grapevines with other fruit trees. These pleasure gardens were generally located close to a home or within a royal city for immediate access to fresh fruit and a beautiful space to relax. The bulk of grapes and their products were cultivated alone in vineyards. Depending on terrain, vineyards could be right next to cities or quite far away from settlements. They could be irrigated or depend solely on rainfall. They could be walled or left unprotected. The prophet Isaiah famously described the founding of a vineyard. His process includes preparing the ground, likely by uprooting plants, bushes, and trees, and clearing stones, then planting the chosen vines, building a wall or fence, probably with the stones removed from the vineyard, watchtowers were added for extra security, and a wine press was cut out of bedrock to process grapes into wine. 
Due to growing conditions, separately owned vineyards with their own walls could exist close together, which would create narrow pathways for travelers, just like what's described in the Balaam incident and possibly even the lion attack against Samson. Inside the vineyards, grapevines could be allowed to grow on the ground, or to make for easier harvesting and upkeep, the vines would be trained up poles and trellises. When harvest time came, it was cause for great celebration, especially the first usable harvest, which wouldn't have occurred until the fifth year of production for law-following Israelites. The crop of the first three years was to be left, and the fourth year's crop was given to God. Harvest time meant fresh grapes, wine, raisins, vinegar, and a type of grape syrup. It meant singing songs of joy, giving offerings of thanks, and pruning the empty vines for next year's growing season. Vineyards, grapes, and wine were seen as integral to the blessings of God on Israel. If Israel were to reject the covenant they had with God, the loss of their vineyards and their inability to harvest them would be one of the consequences. On the flip side, vineyards were a vital blessing of God to be joyfully celebrated by his covenant people. This is reflected clearly in the rules for warfare. If a man had planted a vineyard and had not yet harvested from it, remember that it could not be harvested until the fifth year, then he was exempt from going to war. The fruit of the vineyard was a blessing from God to be enjoyed. As you continue reading through the Psalms and Proverbs and actually well into the prophets as well of the Old Testament, you're going to see this imagery pop up again and again. So it's a good thing to keep in your mind uh, as you continue to read through. I find this absolutely fascinating. It really is good, Corey. Thank you so much for that. We are, by the way, we're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, but we're also on Rumble. So uh, Rumble's a new social media platform. It's not really new, but it's new for us. And uh, if you want to go to Rumble, look up Bible Discovery TV. You will find us. All our programs are there as well. Janice. Yes. Uh, calm resolve to wait for the salvation of God is Psalm 62, a Psalm of David again. And it starts off by saying, truly, my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. And you and I both know that to wait silently sometimes is one of the most difficult things that we can do when we are in times of great difficulty, when we're in times of trouble. It's hard for us to do that. Later on again in verse 5, uh, David again says, My soul, and he's telling himself, wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. And so there again, I thought, well, how can we truly wait silently for God, knowing that our expectation is from him? And that is only had really by a relationship with each of us, with our Heavenly Father. That's how we develop our trust in Him, because of His faithfulness to us as we carry on in life. Once we have given our lives to Him to follow Him, we will have trouble. But the trouble that we have, we never face alone because God is with us and God will strengthen and teach us through the troubles. He will help to take us 
through. So that develops that love and that trust and that dependency and that knowing that God is our salvation, He is our refuge, builds through time like a relationship develops between people. Only this is so much higher than that. God is that one who can be your refuge, who can be your strength. He is your salvation. David reminds us in verse 8, he says, Trust in him, meaning God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And then there's a, a, a pause there for us to reflect and meditate on what he has just challenged us to do. And that's really, really important. At the end, he says, God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. He reminded me of the story of Jesus' disciples. Do you remember that? It's in Mark. I believe it's in uh, chapter four of Mark. And the disciples and Jesus were in a boat and they were crossing over the sea and a storm rose up and Jesus was asleep. He was asleep in, in the boat. And the disciples were terrified. They thought they were gonna drown. And they, they ran to him and they said, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And, and Jesus stood up and he said, peace be still. And the Bible says that the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But then Jesus said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And it was one of those lessons in life that when we do follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we learn. And there are times that we go through things that we don't understand how we're going to react to it. And in that moment, we can get very afraid and very scared not realizing that Jesus is with us. He is in that same boat with us and the winds and the waves still know his name. He still has that power. He's the same God yesterday, today and forever. Do you remember the disciples after the death and resurrection of their Lord Jesus Christ and how they changed and how they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt who Jesus was, that he was and is the Son of God, that he died and that he rose again to pay the cost of our sin. They knew that and their lives reflected it. In Jesus' earthly time, before his death, sacrificial death on the cross, the disciples were learning from him and learning from him. And at that culmination of his death and in that miraculous resurrection, the disciples knew who he, who he was and they gave their lives as a testimony. And it was this, they knew that they could wait and trust upon the Lord. He truly was and is their refuge and in any time of trouble. At the end of the program, I'd like to thank you for joining us on the prayer meeting, and many have, and, and uh, you can come on the Facebook and YouTube at 3.30 in the afternoon, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, that's Eastern time, New York time, 3.30 to 4.30, and we will pray for you. 
uh, and we love to have you pray. And so it's really, really good. Uh, anyway, be there. And today we're going to pray and we say, Lord, I need to know you and I need to seek your face right now and today. So help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.